Good morning. We um, have two passages this morning that we're going to be reading from. The first comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. If you'd like to follow along in the Black Bible in your pew, you can find the passage on page 1211. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Our second reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they had continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Father, we thank you for your plan to gather people from every tribe and language and people and nation to worship you, to follow Jesus, and to love one another. In short, we thank you for the church, frail and yet beloved. Amen. High school kids are going to leave and uh, join their program. All right. Have fun. Sort of wish I was joining them, quite frankly. Is that bad to say? Is this being taped? Did I just use the word tape? <laughs> All right. Aaron Sorkin uh, put these words on the lips of President Bartlett. This is for you West Wing fans. He said, decisions are made by those who show up. That is, there's power in presence. This uh, sermon is about the habit of showing up uh, to church. Now, I have no intentions of making this a legalistic sermon. I'm not busting chops and I'm not going to wave the finger. Uh, I mean, you're actually here. <laughs> and I'm aware, of course, of how, how hard it is to show up sometimes, maybe often. I know how hard it is. And that'll happen for you for various reasons that perhaps only you know about, and perhaps those that are closest to you. But I want to explore the habit of being at the table, of, of coming to church, of being present at the family gathering, the power of presence. I want to do that by, by looking at two texts from the New Testament, neither of which use guilt nor finger-waving. The first text just read out to us, or the second text there on page 6, is from the book of Acts, and it inspires us. It's aspirational. 
Uh, but the second test I look at this morning, the first one there printed on page 6, the book of Hebrews, understands your pain. One inspires, one understands reality. In the book of Acts, interestingly, they met every day, not just Sundays and once during the week. Acts chapter 2, verse 46, every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And yet by the time the book of Hebrews was written, the church was suffering. It had persecution and with it disappointment. Listen to the pastoral heart of the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. See, he there, some are in the habit of not going, the habit of not meeting. And habits are hard to break. Ask a smoker. But the reformer Erasmus once said, a nail is driven out by another nail. Habit, he wrote, is overcome by habit. So this morning we're talking about the habit of being at the table, by which I mean being present at the family gathering. I don't mean the communal table or the communion table specifically, although we are having communion today appropriately, where together as a family we remember Christ's death. We're in a series called Four Habits to Break the Heart. We've done Hear His Voice, that's about reading the Bible. We've done Have His Ear, which is about the habit of praying, both in regular moments, but also from the heart as you walk along. This week it's be at the table, and next week it's share the table. This week it's about presence and care, and then next week it's about hospitality and mission. I have two points to make today, and these are on your outline on page seven. What we learn from the early church with a qualification and secondly, what we learn from the habit of being present. What we learn from the early church with, uh, with some qualifications. Acts chapter 2 uh, was written by Luke, of Luke's Gospels fame. Acts is his second volume. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, is of course descriptive rather than necessarily prescriptive. Just because they met every day doesn't mean that we necessarily have to meet every day. It describes what they did, uh, the early church, in the weeks after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, it is absolutely and clearly fueled by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are people fueled with brand new resurrection hope, I mean, they knew that with the resurrection of Jesus, the whole world had changed. The universe is changed. You know, there's an upward trajectory now, a substantial one, not just a downward one, to death. And they knew there was no going back after the resurrection of Jesus, that there was indeed a right side of history, and that they were on the right side of history if they were in Christ, in repentance and faith. But Acts chapter 2, verses 47, 42 to 47 is also idealistic, and I mean that positively, not negatively. It's, it's an ideal. It's aspirational. In a single paragraph, Acts 2 highlights elements of the Christian community that we'll find throughout the whole New Testament. If I can put it this way, it's Luke's list of stuff he wished happened more. So here are five things that I wish happened more, or at least deeper. Deeper. 
firstly, from the early church, we learn that they were apostolic. That is, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching more than their own ideas. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to their dreams. No. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So as they gathered, they heeded the message of the gospel. They submitted themselves to the teaching of Scripture. They yielded their own ideas, and they broke bread. They ate together, and they prayed, and they did so devoted to what will become the teaching of the New Testament. In other words, if I can put it this way, they opened their Bibles at their gathering, and they shared the oral tradition of the life of Jesus that would eventually become the Gospels, and they believed it the letters as they were passed around. They believed it, especially, or even, or perhaps even especially, the bits they found hard. And we know they found some hard. We know that. Dr. Timothy Keller in in New York City says this. He says, to stay away from Christianity because part of the Bible's teaching is offensive to you assumes that if there is a God, he wouldn't have any views that upset you. He'd always agree with you. If you don't trust the Bible enough to let it challenge and correct your thinking, how could you ever have a personal relationship with God in any truly personal relationship, for example, a marriage? The other person has to be able to contradict you. You've got to be able to contend with them. That's what a relationship is. And you've got one with God if you devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching. Here at Churchill, we devote ourselves to God's Word. Secondly, they were awe-filled, and we want to give permission to what, they, what is known as the evangelical affections. And you want to feel the joy of God. In verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The language is intense, by the way. The King James Version, fear came upon every soul. At the staff retreat, we realized that next year we're going to look at the wisdom of the fear of God. That's next year, so you've got to stick around, be at the table. They were in awe of God on account of the wonders they saw through the apostles. So they were constantly praising God. We, of course, have the record of the wonders of Jesus Christ and the apostles in Scripture, and we marvel at them. But we also need permission, a fresh openness to experience the love of God in in awe-filled ways, we want to have uh, or recapture something of our evangelical heritage. We want to stand in the awe of God. Amen? Third, they were communal. And we need to create, if I can put it this way, a social movement that isn't a social movement, a community that's more than a book club or a library. Look at verse 44. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Some sold property and possessions to give to the the ones who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. It's community. That was the end result of what they were doing, worshiping God together in love. In Eugene Peterson's The Message, he sort of transliterates it this way. He says, they followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praise God. 
I wonder, just in preparation for this, whether I need to have a loaf of bread at every meal. You know, we just break it and say the reason why we're doing it. I buy a bunch of loaves of bread. For what it's worth, uh, these verses are not advocating communism, as you'll often hear. You're just like, oh, the early church was communist. No, no, no. There's no sense here that they're mandating a new system from the state where people are forced to share, even for good reasons. No one's taxing anyone here. No one's being forced to give. In verse 45, it shows that they, some willingly sold property. In other words, some had property, some didn't. And they moved that resource to the help where it was needed. In other words, this is powerful, it's voluntary, and it's open community, more like a family than a, and not like a state. In our strategic planning in the last 10 days, we noted that Australian society is more connected than we've ever been, but of course we're observing what not just the church observes, but people are saying this all over the place. People are more lonely than ever before. And we'd love our church to be a compelling community, and we know we're, well, I love it, and I know that it's a long way to go at the same time, and we know that as a staff team, we want to work towards ways in which that can be but we also want you to have this bubble up, the idea that we can have a compelling community. I read this morning in the Sydney Morning Herald an article about libraries. Listen to this. In a time of rapid population growth, libraries provide much-needed space for communities to connect, learn, and relax. I mean, 60 years ago, that was the church. Now it's libraries. But a church community is an amazing place. Where else can you go? What other community in Sydney directly and specifically is dedicated to asking and answering the question, how shall I live? And what do I do if I fail? What if I do if I'm a failure? I mean, that's what we say here every week. We receive grace. We're dedicated to asking the question, how do we suffer? I mean, who else is asking that question in a communal and sustained way? And is there any hope, substantial hope we're talking about here, not just wishful thinking? A church is where you gather wonder-filled disciples of Jesus, and we want to be disciples. Frederick Nietzsche said, I'd believe in a redeemer if the redeemed looked redeemed. It's time to look redeemed. Amen? Fourth, it's increasing. There was an expectation of growth and a plan for it. The last verse there, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is one of the features of the book of Acts. Jesus himself said that the harvest was plentiful, that people wanted to become Christians. It's just dropping off the trees, Jesus said. Thousands and thousands would want to hear this message of hope. In the end, millions, 400 million, they say, between 30 AD and 400 AD. Get your mind around that. Millions needing and wanting to hear the liberating call to repent of sins. Their souls needing forgiveness the way their bodies need oxygen and water. That growth is recorded in the book of Acts. Now, we know that that growth is happening now in China and in India and in Africa. They're chasing the growth in those nations. When I was a kid, I was like, well, what happens if you were born in deepest, darkest Africa? Now Africans are asking, what happens if you're born in the deepest, darkest Sydney? We long for it here. Here's a prayer. Habakkuk 2. Lord, I've heard of your fame. 
I stand in awe of your deeds. I remember them. Repeat them in our day. Renew them in our time. That's the prayer of, um, of revival. And lastly, they're favoured, uh, saying yes to the world occasionally. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God, and enjoying the favour of all the people. The early church was a church that the world said yes to before they turned on them like a pack of dogs and lit them up uh, as, as torches. But still, there it is, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. The church's job wasn't to poke sticks and throw stones. And I don't want to be known, and I can see how it, the accusation is easily made, but I would love not to be known as a church taking potshots of the world from over a fence, sort of blasting messages from, from megaphones, from sandstone buildings. No, we want you to leave this church each Sunday filled with a passion on Monday to be Christ's. Not yielding, by the way. It's not as if we're just saying, oh, you know, we're not looking for approval. They weren't looking for approval. They were just compelling community. If the purpose of Sundays is Monday, then we'd love for you to interact with the world in a way that's appropriate. Now, why do I say all of this in a talk about going to church? I'll tell you why. Because I didn't want this to be a sermon about going to church where it's just, go to church. You should you should be going to church. I'm, I'm a clergyman, and that means on Saturday or Friday when I say, I'll see you at church on Sunday, I, I, I feel so self-conscious in case a person wasn't planning to go. I didn't want this to be that sort of sermon. I wanted rather to give you a picture of what things could be like. And yet, and yet, here's the qualification. I also want to say that the Acts 2 community was itself dashed within a couple of chapters of Acts 2. If I can put it this way, there isn't any going back, even if it remains an aspiration. I'll tell you why. The disappointments start in chapter 5 with the lying of believers. Persecution makes thousands walk away, even if millions will come, protecting, understandably, self. But they believe that their lives were better than the love of God. The early church has yet in chapter 2, to messily include non-Jews into their communal life. They're racially pure, if I can put it this way, even if they're Jews from the diaspora. And heresy and pride are yet to feature in the life of the church, but it will come in spades, as we all know. So how do you do church if you see the junk? If you've seen the junk, and you've seen the junk, how do you do church if it's political and personal junk, if it's stuff in the newspapers, junk, or perhaps if you have been hurt. I had a bit of my message here, and I took it out from C.S. Lewis, because uh, I wanted to save you two minutes of your life, but I'm going to put them back. Is that okay? There's a beautiful moment um, in the screw tape letters, which is a lovely, um, powerful uh, allegory, really, of a senior devil coaching a junior devil to persuade his subjects uh, uh, to, um, to give up the faith. And the senior devil says to the junior devil, one of our great allies at the moment is the church itself. And then he says, I do not mean the church as we see her, terrible and mighty, with banners that you know, strike fear into the, the hearts of our, our strongest tempters. I don't mean the church as God sees her, crossing time and space, 
I'm in the church that your subjects see. You know, the, the messy one when they walk in the front door and get a piece of paper with songs you don't want to sing and a band you don't want to hear and why the organ's playing sometimes or why the organ's not playing and why the person next to you is like weird, weird and unlike you. Let your subjects think about that. Because when, when they think about that, they'll say, yeah, 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 I don't want to go to church. Weird people. There's something about understanding the nature of the church that we are frail, yet loved. That's what the Scriptures say. And so the habit of going to church is a habit that begins to shape the heart. James K.A. Smith wrote a book called You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit. He writes, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. Look at what you do. And that's because our action, our doing, bubbles up from our loves, which, as we've observed, are habits we've acquired through the practices we're immersed in. The heart, the habits, the practices, the hearts, the habits, the practices, the hearts, the habits, the practices. They just become ingrained in us. He goes on, the orientation of the heart happens from the bottom up, through the formation of our habits of desire. And here it is. Learning to love God takes practice over decades. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So secondly, what do you learn about the habit of being present? Well, firstly, you learn it's a habit of not doing. <laughs> Verse 25 is so interesting. For years and years and years, I simply misread the text. I just misread it because I couldn't get the idea that a habit could be not doing something. Not doing something. Couldn't get my mind that that was the habit. So I just, you know, glazed over and read it as some are in the habit of meeting together. Thumbs up. Encouraging one another. Thumbs up. But it's actually, somebody pointed out to me, you got that wrong. That was a humbling Bible study. Some have made it a habit not to meet, like I used to exercise, and now I'm in the habit of not exercising. I speak from personal testimony. A not doing a thing can be a habit. And you and I could name people who've done that. It's not that they... Um, I mean, some just walk away going, I'm done. But a lot of people just drift away and you say, you know, oh, you're not a Christian anymore. And they just say, I drifted away. There was a habit of not going. You, in fact, yourself might have had a season like that. I met a woman uh, who wanted her child baptised here. And she was a media personality, a minor media personality. But you've seen her on various things. I won't say who it is. But she came... Uh, to have a child baptised, and I talked about becoming a member of the life of the community, what you're doing in baptism, and she started crying. And I asked her why she was crying, and she said, when I was 15, I just um, stopped going to church. I loved church. I, the stories made sense to me, but I stopped going to church for, for three reasons, really. Beer, boredom, and boys. Beer, boredom, and boys. I said, why are you crying now? And she said, I never realised at the age of 15 that I was making a decision that would affect the life of my son 25 years later. I spoke that word at the Garrison Church and Rowan Patterson down there said this. He said, it makes me think of the other C.S. Lewis quote. We are always sowing the seeds of our future self. What you do on a Sunday in many ways is sowing seeds 
of a future self. But this not going is also, if I can put it this way, understandable. And you know that from the context. The context here is a suffering church. It costs to go to church, maybe even your life or the life of someone you love. And the writer of Hebrews urges them not to give up the faith, uh, even despite the possibility of the sword. But he does so painting pictures and uh, genuine exhortation and encouragement. You and I, we get worn down by Netflix and the lure of me time. They got worn down by the sword. Many gave up meeting together because they were afraid for their lives. And I learned this in, the, in um, church history when I was at Bible college. In the early church, there'd be a period of intense persecution from the Roman government. And about half the people would walk away from the church. Um, but after the persecution inevitably ended, that half that walked away, many would return. And there'd be a bunch of bruised and battered people there who'd lost children who were trying to work out what to do about the people who returned after the season of persecution. See how complex that is? But to understand that the idea of penance originally started because those who stuck around said to those who came back, we need some form of showing that you can handle some pain for when it comes around the second time around. And then the church made that earn your way to heaven. Blurg. Now, I get that we don't have persecution like that, but we do have things that wear us down. Christian community can. Doubts, family and friends, mental health issues, genuine issue, understandable. Relational fears, aging, aging. Illnesses, both your own as well as those who you care for. Wonderful at 8.30. There's a gentleman I haven't seen for two months because he's caring for his wife. And uh, down the aisle, I stop to say, I understand. You know. The writer of Hebrews understands people's actual lives. But he wants them to know that just because... Uh, persecution happens doesn't mean you necessarily want to walk away and that's why the writer says don't make it a habit don't make it a habit third the habit of going will have to be intentional the writer of Hebrews uh, talked about the intentionality of the church let us consider how we may spur one another on. let's ponder ways to care finding the lost souls and looking out for the little ones for to such belongs the kingdom of God and then praying with people I love it when I see that after church and coming early, perhaps, to church, because that's when the new people come, awkwardly, and saying, would you like to join us for lunch after church? Or there's a midweek event I'd like to come, you to come to, I don't know, an alpha night. I'll make sure you get a park, you say to your friend, and then you call me, and I'll make sure they get a park. It's got to be intentional, and it's got to be about others. Let us consider, let's ponder, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and encouraging one another in verse 25. One of the hard shifts to making life is, how is this not about me, but about other people? Um, what will the experience of church be for other people? Uh, what will my presence be for other people? And you say, well, nothing. And, well, I'm going to tell you, over time, it will mean something. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
And fifth and finally, it is fueled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this has got to be the most important point because it can't be about guilt and it can't be about mere habit and it's not always easy. The Christian gospel is, I can't, he can. I can't, Christ can. In the end, the fuel of the habit of your presence at church, the intentional presence at church, has to be the Christian gospel itself, fueled by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 19, the confidence to approach God, even as a sinner. In verse 20, the new and living way opened for us by the death of Jesus Christ. That's what we remember when we take bread and wine in a few moments' time. That verse 21, we have a great high priest over the house of God, because I need a high priest, sinner, as I am approaching a deeply holy God, and Jesus is my high priest. Verse 22, I have my my heart cleansed from a guilty conscience. So good, no guilty conscience. Which is why we draw near to God with a sincere heart and why we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. This is why we take the nail of our presence, being at the table, to drive the nail of the habit of not gathering out of its way. We come to church here and we do things at church where we at first lift our eyes up to the glory of God, and in a moment's time, our hearts will be brought low in confession. And then our hearts will be lifted up in assurance to where our eyes were in the first place, the glory of God, fixed on the grace of God, a sinner like me. And then we learn together how to live in the way of Jesus Christ, nourished by Him. Chuck Swindle said this, he said, the habit of putting off an experience until, I don't know, you can afford it, or the time is right, or until you know how to do it well is one of the great burglars of joy. It's a thief of joy. He writes, be deliberate, and once you've made up your mind, jump in. And I'm saying that, jump in. The water is warm, although community is complex. More on this next week. We'd love to see you here each week. We love your presence at the table. We need your presence at the table. Be deliberate, and once you've made up your mind, jump in. Let's pray. Father, we want the fuel that drives hearts that want to gather in smaller communities, accountability groups, one-on-one, and here at church on Sunday as we are fed and nourished, but also brought low and lifted high by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want it all. And we recognize the church is frail and in many ways disappointing as it was in the early church with pride and... and, uh, and we, just, and we just ask for grace to see the church as you see her, loved even if frail. The church is as broken as every human heart is. And, uh, and so we pray that you'll mend not only our own hearts, but the life of our church. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.